Welcome to another episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, the Boots on the Ground podcast for replanters by replanters with your host, Bob Bickford and Jimbo Stewart. Here in the trenches with you doing the gritty and glorious work of replanting dying churches. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital, the church website and branding partner you need to help move your church forward. All right, here we are back at the boot camp. Bob, I hope you're ready for the next episode. And listeners, I hope you're ready for a different Bob. <laughs> Normally, when I say, Bob, I hope you're ready for the next episode, that would indicate I'm talking to the illustrious, the beautiful, butterflies, kisses, singing Bob Bickford. But he was not able to jump in on this call because he had some good family stuff going on and he had to dip away. But we decided to push ahead and we brought another Bob in his place for today. I'm not cheating on you, Bickford. It's just the other Bob in my life, Bob yes. Bumgarner. Hey, it's good to be here. I'm sorry to miss Bob number one, but I'm glad to be. I feel weird saying Bob number two, but anyway, <laughs> the second Bob. <laughs> it's always good to have you on here. Our listeners love having you. We love having you here. You always have great wisdom. So grateful to have you again. I think this is what the this is what the third or fourth time we've had you on yeah, the podcast. Yeah, at least third. Yep. I remember, I think the first time we were, it, we had just talked, for some reason, we were talking about burnt ends and how <laughs> Bob Bickford and I had just gotten back from Kansas City. And for whatever reason, we went to a restaurant that had sausage burnt ends. And I couldn't for the life of me figure out how that could be a real thing. <laughs> well, you, until you've tasted them, you don't know. <laughs> Well, good, man. I'm glad to have you on here. We're going to talk about a topic that comes up often when I know for me, as I've talked to pastors across the country and in our great city, the bold city of Jacksonville and on the first coast, I'm sure you've encountered multiple conversations okay. that have brought this idea of conflict up. Anytime we're leading change, anytime we're leading a church, especially in a revitalization or a replant where we're really changing the direction of the church, it's inevitable that church conflict is going to happen. And so you've turned me on to a book that I love the title, When Church Conflict Happens, because it it insinuates that it's not an if or it might happen, but it's going to happen. Church conflict. Just real quick, introduce the book to us. Yeah, Michael Hare is somebody that I became introduced to. When there was a church in town that was actually hiring him to come in and um, do some consultation with them. It's a church that I respect, a very biblical church. And they brought him in and I had the opportunity to do lunch with him and just really appreciated some of the insight and the attitude he had. I mean, one of the things that I think is super important is that he brings out is that conflict does not mean failure. I mean, mm -hmm. so you're going to have it. And so you got to get your mind out of the fact that I have failed if I'm experiencing conflict. So that's just one of the good, the gold nuggets that was in there that led me to actually want to kind of drill down and see what he had to say. Yeah, drilling down, he said, he talked about the opportunity of conflict. What, is, what does he mean when he says the opportunity of conflict? Yeah, so one of the interesting things about conflict is that conflict actually kind of unfreezes our thinking. And we are actually, when we're in the middle of conflict, we're actually willing to consider options or changes that we haven't been willing to consider. And that is if we, again, don't see conflict as failure but just as something that once worked, no longer worked, or two opinions trying to share the same space, whatever the problem is, conflict handled correctly can actually be an opportunity for movement, getting unstuck, and actually breakthrough. Yeah, I've experienced, I think, on a spectrum, the way that we have dealt with conflict wrongly based a little bit off of our personalities and our wiring. Uh -huh. 
And I think there are some people that are so direct that they they kind of speak the truth without love. And yeah. they may say the right thing and they just hammer in and just expect you to course correct because they told you the truth. <laughs> yeah. And then on the other side, I have, I've experienced people who are so kind and tenderhearted that out of a motivation to love well, they end up so indirectly addressing everything and sugarcoating it that they end up not actually telling the truth fully because yeah. there's so much love. And I think about, you know, in Ephesians when it tells us to, speak the truth in love. How does, yeah. how does Michael Hare address those, those personality swings dynamics or does he? Yeah, he does. I mean, basically what he says is anytime that we take something that the Bible puts together and try to separate it, we're going to mess up. So it's share the truth in love. You can't just share truth. You can't just share love. It has to, they hold each other in tension. I think it was him that talked about, I mean, if it wasn't, it's still, it, it's underlying in there, but talked about truth and love, like being a smoothie. Like when you, when you drink a smoothie, you don't, like if it's a banana strawberry smoothie, there's just this new flavor, you know, but you taste both, but they're not distinct. So truth and love is the same way. And being able to really understand your bias, understand yeah. that you, you were born with or socialized toward a particular bias. I'm a high D or ID in the disc. And so for me, I actually feel comfortable disrupting things. Well, that's. The majority of the Christian world is not like that. So I have to actually manage myself well and start with things like empathy and those kind of things in order for me to be able to share the truth in love. One of the other things he says is uh, he talks about the three facets of conflict. What is he? What are the three facets? What does he mean by that? What he, he says, there's really three kinds of conflicts or three facets. There's unhealthy conflict, there's benign conflict, and then there's healthy conflict. So unhealthy conflict means that something, a problem goes unrecognized until factions in the church begin to develop. And so sometimes, Jimbo, to your point, it goes unrecognized because we don't want to see it. And so our personality can make it to where we either engage too fast without hearing all the facts or we engage too slow, letting things fester to where even factions can, can form. Benign conflict, on the other hand, is when church conflict, when church disagreements occur because of organizational oversights. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But in other words, it wasn't the result of two people fussing at, about a particular thing, but something that was sort of unintentional and a gap that nobody actually noticed. And then, of course, healthy conflict is a, is a disagreement that are spotted and then they're responded to in love and in truth and honoring, trying to honor both sides of the equation as much as is possible in a biblically constructive manner. Yeah, a couple of years ago, we had Tony Morita on to talk about his book about conflict management. And I told you one of my favorite conflict management stories, and it's been enough years, I think I can bring it up again. But it just still cracks me up. I call it the war of the peace lilies. And when, when I first arrived at uh, the church, the Lord allowed me to be a part of replanting. They had a longstanding tradition of every time there was a funeral of yeah. someone in the church, they would gift, the church would gift that family a peace lily. Well, Bob, a peace lily is not a small plant. It's a yes. large plant. <laughs> yes. And the tradition ended up over time becoming that the family would then donate the peace lily back to the church in honor of their loved one. So now this peace lily is sentimentally attached to a dying person, someone that died that they love, and it ends up on the platform, on the stage. And over time, this church had a lot of people die. 
And so when I showed up, it was like a wild safari rainforest. On this. I, I had to clear room just to walk up on the platform. And that was fine. I was going to deal with that. But the first conflict I had to manage was two ladies in our church scheduled a meeting to come to my office for me to mediate their conflict because one had passed off the responsibility of caring for the myriad of peace lilies we had on the stage and was not pleased with how the new lady was managing the care for these peace lilies. And I, I remember sitting in my office as I really thought, oh, this is going to lead to what is really the disagreement. And, you know, surely we're not actually having a conflict mediation meeting over peace lilies of all things. And, but we were, we were having this meeting and it was, and I could not get either lady to see each other's perspective at all. And so their resolution to that meeting was, well, Jimbo, you will now from now on water the peace lilies. And I said, no, that's going to be the resolution out of here. We're going to have, if you, if you put that on me, they're not going to get watered. And sure enough, they didn't get cared for well. I didn't know what to do because each piece of lily is now attached to a loved member that has passed. So another lady, a very direct person in our church, I show up to, told me I'm going to handle this one day. And I just said, okay, I don't know. I don't know what to do about this, but they were dying. So I show up to Sunday morning church one day, early in the morning, and they're all gone. Every one of them is gone. And I immediately knew who handled it. And so I just said, I hope you've not gotten me fired. And sure enough, it was, it was a big deal. And one lady wouldn't talk to another lady for a long time. So, man, I, I don't know which tier you would put that in, healthy, benign, or unhealthy. But it was, yeah. it was surprisingly oh. robust of a conflict. Well, I always wondered where Disney got their idea for Rainforest Cafe. And I, now I know it was from your church stage. <laughs> <laughs> well, at the core of the book is, is about what he calls the levels of conflict dynamics. What help, help us understand what's most helpful about understanding levels of dynamics. Okay. So when you think about the levels of dynamics, really there are always what are presenting issues. That's kind of the visible symptom of the conflict. But then there are the core, the, the root cause. So think of it, there's the visible symptom and the root cause. And what you have to do is you have to shift from the presenting, the visible symptom to the root cause, or you'll find yourself solving the problem over and over and over again because you're just addressing the symptoms. Mm -hmm. And so what he, he did in his five levels, he's got these kind of concentric circles, if you will. What he did is he gave us a tool from, to move from reacting to responding by shifting gears. And there are, he identifies five levels through his research. One is what he calls the intrapersonal level. So that's, the le that's what's going on inside of me. Then the interpersonal level is between two people. And then there's the intra-group level where it's, you know, with there's a conflict within a group, within the deacons or within the Peace Lily Committee. And then there's the intergroup level, which is between the, the deacons and the elders, if you will. And then there's the structural level. So the first thing he did is he kind of gave us a way to do a post-mortem, I guess, or a pre-mortem, if you will on the conflict so we can know if it's something that's just going on inside of me or if it's something between groups. And when you know the level of dynamics, there's actually a strategy for engaging each one of those. And the thing I like about the book 
well, I like a lot of things about the book, but the first half of the book is kind of the philosophy. And the second half of the book is the field manual. And so it actually will tell you how to mine out some of those kind of things in the field manual at the back of the book. But the goal, the book is built around these these five levels of conflict and, and the idea of how to separate presenting issues from the root causes. So let's take the Peace Lily example. How could I okay. take those levels of dynamics and use some things out of the field manual and dive deeper into that conversation with those ladies or whoever else I would need to involve in that to, to start identifying some of those levels and moving forward towards peaceful progression? Yeah, that's a great, it's a great question. What I would say is you could have started by listening empathetically to the ladies, which I'm sure, I am sure you did. Listen empathetically to the ladies, talk to them about how, you, how important it is that we remember people who have made significant contributions to our church, and then actually help them to see that it's, that you're not against those memories of those people, but just there's no more room to stand on the stage. And so you could ask the question, so help me to solve this problem. If we want to solve this, how can we do it? One of the things to think about is sometimes it's not either or. Sometimes the symptom is either we keep the lilies or we hate the people that used to be here. Yeah. But if you as the person, as the pastor involved in this conflict, could say, hey, how can we do this? How can we honor the people that have, and the families that have given these peace lilies and at the same time not have a jungle in our auditorium? Sometimes just by posing that question, the both and, it allows them to, to expand their thinking. And one of the things that the level can do, what was trying to happen is they were trying to set up an interpersonal conflict with the pastor. Like they didn't know that. But they were making it that you were either wrong and they were right or they were wrong and you were right. And so just by being able to think in those levels, it kind of gives you the confidence to know that you're tracking in a way that will ultimately get to some kind of resolution of the conflict. So I think conflict's so hard to deal with and so many pastors and Christian leaders really don't like to deal with conflict very well. So one of the things he says is that churches get better at walking through conflict when they demystify it. Talk to us about what does that mean to demystify conflict in a church? Okay. Okay. So first of all, well, one of the things that I think is, well, the first step and his levels really help with this is that he found that 90% of the time, I get that, that's a big number, 90% of the time, the underlying or root cause of a conflict was at the organizational or structural level. So that means that if two people are fighting in a church, if you dig deep, 90 per, nine out of 10 times, what you're going to find is what the church has caused, the, their organizational structure has caused the conflict. Like there's something that's not been stated in the, that makes the people be at conflict with each other. In other words, it's not truly interpersonal. They're fighting because the children's ministry wants space that the student ministry thought they had reserved, or the bus was available for this group, but the other group thought that they had it. Those are those would be examples of structural kinds of things. So demystifying means that the first root cause we look for is, is there a structural reason that these people are actually having this conflict? 
The second thing in demystifying conflict is really just shifting the paradigm from avoiding it to uh, as something to you avoid it because it reveals failure to um, doing it as a way to gain insight into what is, into what's happening. You know, again, looking for God-given opportunities for growth. So think about this. Go to Acts chapter six. Jimbo knows that I get a lot of gold out of Acts chapter six. But part of, if you think about it, they hear about a conflict in the food distribution system and they don't just kick it down the road. They actually do something between verse one and two. They have an offsite or something. They have something where they talk about it and, and they come back with a solution. They do things like reassign jobs. They enlist new leaders. They train new leaders. They commission them. And what we see is that as a result of demystifying the conflict and, and actually saying, okay, we have, a, we have a food distribution problem because we have two different kinds of people now that may have a little bit of racial tension in it that we can actually solve it. And, and so we demystify by identifying the level, by actually thinking it's an opportunity for growth. And sometimes we, well, and, and we just demystify it by thinking kingdom advance and not just church advance. So how do we, how do we manage this with kingdom thinking? So Jimbo, on several of your podcasts, you've mentioned the kingdom commitment that it takes. In other words, it's the overarching commitment that's kind of an application of Matthew 6, to seek first the kingdom of God. But you have to bring that down into the, into the church. And it's the point of surrender. Like, in other words, we'll say what we need to say, but at the end of the day, we're going to do good. We're going to agree on, we're going to pre-agree that we'll seek a kingdom alternative. And here's what happens when you demystify. When you demystify, you go from helpless to hopeless. You go from feeling like you've lost something all the time to that you can actually gain something. You go from fear to being filled with spiritual optimism. Think about this. If you, Jimbo, I'm sure that you and Audra, Audria have had a fight at some point. And, and just like Tina and I have. And here's the thing. We've endured some pretty tough conversations. So guess what? When the next conflict comes up, we don't freak out because we've demystified it. We know we can walk through this. It's not something, it's not a mystery. It's not like there are actual things you can do. You can show empathy. You can show respect. You can exhibit goodwill. And all of those things are, you know, brought out in the, in the deeper reading of the book. Yeah. One of the stories we tell in premarital counseling, talking about this idea of over time, learning how to do that, have the tools and so that, that demystifies it. I think one of our first conflicts ever as a married couple was, and I can say this out loud, Audrey gives me permission. This is one of the few stories where she was the one that made a mistake. It's happened, I think, three times in almost 20 years of marriage. And early on, something, whatever it was, just as we got married, moved to our apartment, like she just like went on autopilot just on her own, doing her own thing and and really didn't pour into invest in our relationship much for a, a month or so. And it was creating conflict within me. I, I didn't know how to talk about it. And I probably didn't pick the right time or way to address it. And I just said, hey, I don't know. I feel like I'm the only one really pursuing and fighting for this marriage. Right. So I would try to have date nights and things like that. And she heard immediately because I said that what she heard was we're already getting divorced. Like it's, it's over. The whole thing's done. Like it's so 
early on in our marriage, conflict was really scary. And, you know, having conflict early on meant it was going to ruin probably the next week of my life, right? Like it was, it was going to have long impacts and it'd be hard to do anything because we just didn't have the tools to navigate the conversation well and come to a agreed upon solution and understanding each other's perspectives. And through mentors and counselors and resources, we have gained a lot of tools. And I can say now that, you know, we're almost 20 years into marriage and our conflicts are largely very peaceful now because we're not scared to hit things head on. And, you know, with that, when it comes to leading a church and replant on the characteristics of a replanter that we've identified, one of the characteristics that came out of the research that Dr. Stephen Hudson did out of his PhD paper for Southern Seminary was a willingness to confront and that he found that pastors that lead churches that can see a new day and be healthy again have to be willing to confront conflict and confront people. And so we define willingness to confront as the replant pastor with a willingness to confront is able to willingly, not eagerly, navigate conflict with directness, love, humility, patience, and wisdom, driven by a love for the church and her members. And it has yeah. to, and, and it has to be driven by that kingdom commitment, that idea of I love this church too much to yeah. let this become a cancer and slowly come in and take over everything. So what would you say, just in the last couple of minutes here, what are the kind of high point things you would tell a a pastor of a smaller church, a replant, you know, dozen, couple dozen people are part of the church. And sometimes those people don't have the spiritual maturity to handle these conversations well. And he finds himself in the midst of some, some undercurrent of conflict happening in the church. And so he's Google searched what to do, and somehow come across this podcast episode. If you could just give just a couple of points of advice, what would that be? Yeah, I think I would just call it map the conflict. And what that means to me is you got you to gotta kind of have two ways of listening. Listen to the symptoms of the conflict so you can be empathetic. And what that means is that you can reflect back to them that you know how they feel. So they share with you about the peace, Louise, and you share that we're, we're going to move them. And I know that that will be a disappointment to you. And I know that that you feel like perhaps we're not honoring your, your deceased husband, but you need to know that we do value him. And because of that, we're going to have a peace lily garden out in the back or something, you know, or in the front, what, whatever you, in other words, you, you do something to show that you're, you're managing, not managing, you're expressing your empathy. But you're also listening for the for the root cause. And you say to the same lady that lost her husband, but I know that you you want us to be able to serve other widows that come here. And you know that if we have 10 more flowers, I won't be able to stand up here and preach. And so we have to do something. So you so you you empathize, you you map it out by empathizing and identifying the root cause. And and there's two things that I think that are also part of mapping. One of the reasons that a replanter ought to skill up in conflict management resolution is because conflict is coming. It's coming to a church near you. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you wait 
and you don't skill up, what will end up happening, your first conflict will be a big one. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, if you skill up, you will spot it coming and you very well may be able to pre-solve the conflict. Somebody said in this idea of mapping conflict that we get the culture we create or the culture we allow. And so it's one thing to have a kingdom concept. Like it sounds real fun to have a kingdom concept until the first day it gets violated and you actually have to do something about it. Yeah. But I can promise you this. If you don't chicken out in that moment, all your conflict, all of your confrontations post that will be easier mm. because people will know then that you're actually creating something. We're trying to create. The reason you map out conflict is you're trying to create space where it's safe for people to actually express how they feel about different, you know, different things. And just to quote Peter Drucker about this culture idea, we, with the reason we need to create a culture that's safe is because culture will eat your evangelism strategy, your replanting strategy, your reaching your community strategy for breakfast if you don't figure out how to create the culture that you, that you want. And if you don't map out this kingdom concept idea, you might actually put systems in place that can lead to conflict. Like, in other words, one of the things that a conflict, uh, a healthy church that deals with conflict in healthy ways, they actually kind of think through the systems they have and ask the question, where might conflict arise in this? And how, how can we try to get a, and how can we try to get ahead of that? So those are a couple of things that I think are pretty crucial when it comes to this whole conflict idea. That's such a good word. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us and uh, representing First Coast Churches. If you want to see more resources from from Bob, where can where can they go to see what you're working on with First Coast Churches? Yeah, thanks for asking. They can go to our website, which is firstcoastchurches.com. And if you go over to the tab that says how we help, there are all kinds of resources and it's going to be continually expanding as far as that's concerned. As a matter of fact, just from a conflict perspective, there's a disc profile there that churches can take because part of part of what causes conflict sometimes is the way that we way our personalities are. And yeah. so I would encourage you to spend some time with your volunteer team or your um, staff team, whichever you whichever you happen to have and figure out some personality types and, you know, just pay attention to what seems to be cause hot buttons with those people. We try to put some tools on there that might be helpful. Excellent. And recommend pick up a copy of When Church Conflict Happens by Michael Hare and work through that as well as it's going to give you a lot deeper insight into this conversation and framework on how to implement that in kind of that second half piece of it beyond the philosophy, like Bob mentioned. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. You bet. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, a resource for replanters by replanters. If you enjoyed this episode or found it to be helpful for you and your ministry, please help us get the word out by subscribing, sharing, and leaving us a review on your favorite podcast listening platform. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital. 180 Digital is a team of design, development, and marketing experts that love working with churches, big and small. Check out 180.church, O-N-E-E-I-G-H-T-Y.church to learn more about how 180 can help your church move forward.